This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So welcome everyone to the UC San Diego Center for Healthy Aging's monthly public lecture event titled The Future of Age-Friendly Communities, Aging 2.0, sponsored by the San Diego Foundation. For those of you I haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Danielle Glorioso, and I'm the Executive Director of the Center for Healthy Aging and the Stein Institute for Research on Aging. I think I speak for both the Center and the San Diego Foundation when we say we are so delighted to see such a lovely turnout tonight. What this shows us yet again is that the community is just as interested in age-friendly work as we are. So you have to know that this is just music to our ears to see that the community is just as invested in doing this work as we are. For those of you who are new to us, our Center for Healthy Aging expands uh, the work we've been doing with the Stein Institute and focuses on advancing lifelong health and well-being through research, training, and community outreach. For the first time in the history of any major university in the U.S., we've brought together every major component of the campus to address healthy aging through cross-campus, multi-professional collaborations. So this truly is innovative and an exciting time with a great momentum in the field of aging. The work that we do is supported entirely through donations, so I'd like to take a moment to thank all of you who have supported us all of these years. As many of you know, we've been doing these free public lectures for over 30 years now. So without your support, we would not be able to connect the community with the excited advances that are happening in aging. As I also mentioned earlier, the San Diego Foundation has generously sponsored this lovely event for us tonight. So I'd love to take a moment to thank the foundation for their generous support and for being the visionary behind this truly exciting lecture tonight. We are absolutely delighted to be here tonight with you and our partners from the Stein Institute. This is a series of lectures and conversations that we've been working on with the Stein Institute for some period of time now, for over a year, and we hope that this, this partnership continues long to the future. Uh, the San Diego Foundation recently celebrated a major milestone in our history, and that milestone is that we have gifted or granted over $1 billion to nonprofits in San Diego over our 41 year history. Thank you. That milestone is only made possible through our donors and through partners in the community and frankly outside of San Diego who recognize the importance of community philanthropy. Now, we think about age-friendly communities and how important that is for us in San Diego because we know that a community is a place that it's where it is easy to age, when you're able to age affordably, where you're able to live and be and have um, easy transportation and get together with people in your community like you are tonight. If we're able to do that for those of us who are 
post 55 years old, then we're able to do that and make San Diego a healthier, safer, more um, improve the quality of life for all San Diegans. So thank you for being here with us and ensuring that San Diego is a, a place where um, aging in San Diego is good for all of us, but just living in San Diego is good for all of us. Now, tonight also couldn't be possible without a very important partner, and that is Don and Diana Ambrose, who are donors of the San Diego Foundation with a particular passion about age-friendly communities. And I would like us to just thank Don and Diana tonight. They are not only committed to age-friendly communities, but to San Diego, and we are just very um, honored to have them living here in San Diego as one of our neighbors. Um, the other thing that's really important is San Diego, an exciting both opportunity and circumstance that has happened is that recently the county of San Diego was, named, was designated an age-friendly designation, which means that it truly has the potential for building an age-friendly community. So part of doing that is to bring some people like Katie Pike to help us learn more about how we can continue to be, think of ways to be age-friendly and Katie is going to talk to us tonight about how businesses can work together with community members for innovation in age friendliness. I grew up just up the 405 and the 5 in the Seal Beach area, but my grandparents lived here and I have very fond memories of how age-friendly the zoo in particular was. And the zoo um, was a, my grandmother loved the zoo and we would go there all the time and with her in a wheelchair and my grandfather with late-stage Parkinson's and we made our way around easily and had wonderful memories because of it. And I think it's so neat to see a city get organized around this, um, what the Ambrose family has done to facilitate this. I'm just grateful to be here and we all know San Diego is a great city and I'm excited to think about it through the lens of being an age-friendly city. So with that I want to ask you guys a first just a quick question before I get going on my slides. How many of you in this room have a cell phone? And keep your hand up if that's a smartphone that's connected to the internet. So virtually almost everyone in this room is connected. What about Wi-Fi at your home? So we're all connected. In fact, my parents, who are 83 and 76, um, their Wi-Fi just went down for the last um, 48 hours, and they've been in a panic. <laughs> they, um, they went and stayed at my sister's house for the day because my mom couldn't watch sports and all these things because you know, now cables bundled with their you know, TV and with their Wi-Fi, so they were all out of sorts. So I think we all understand how important it is to be connected. And, I'm excited today to talk to you about the role of technology in helping us be more connected and helping San Diego be a more age-friendly city. And so quickly, a little bit of background about myself. Um, as I mentioned, I grew up in Southern California, but I actually went to the East Coast for college, um, studied engineering at the University of Virginia, and then went to New York and did investment banking for a few years. Um, and then my life kind of changed. I was working um, on September 11th in the World Financial Center and that makes a young 20-something ask herself what she wants to do with her life. And I wasn't exactly sure, but I knew it wasn't going to be investment banking for the rest of my life. And I'd always had a real affinity for older adults. As I mentioned, I had my own you know, older parents and older grandparents, but I'd never thought about it professionally until that morning when I realized that I wanted my work to matter more in my life and to matter more in the world. 
And so after some soul searching and thinking about what I wanted to really do, I ultimately left Wall Street and went back to school and got my master's and then PhD in gerontology. And so now I say that I spend all of my life trying to kind of ram those three worlds together of technology, of finance, and new business models together with the challenges and the opportunities around our aging society. So I started an organization called Aging 2.0, which is really a global organization that's focused on accelerating innovation to improve the lives of older adults around the world. And when I talk to groups of older adults, I want to convey to you how excited and how optimistic I am about the future of aging and to tell you that there are thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs around the world who are passionately coming up with new technologies and new innovations with the goal of trying to make our lives better as we age. We have hosted more than 400 events around the world. We have chapters in 35 cities around the world. We just hosted this conference on the screen about a month ago in San Francisco. We had 950 people there for four days um, from 22 countries. And so there's this amazing group of passionate, talented entrepreneurs who are spending their time focused on this, which I think there's no better thing for them to be focused on. And my job is to get to help them. So it's a real honor to work with them. So I wanted to think about, you know, how do we bring these two worlds together? The world that I spend a lot of time in with these technology companies and the startups, but how could we look at them tonight through the lens of age-friendly cities? So I asked myself as I was pulling my slides together, you know, how can technology help optimize opportunities for health, security, and participation in order to enhance the quality of life as we age? And as you guys have heard, I'm sure, you know, um, most of our cities are aging, and San Diego in particular, um, the people over age 65 is expected to double between now and 2030. So we need to get better at this. Um, and I think there's great opportunity. And technology, in my opinion, is just a tool. It's just one more tool in our toolbox to help us do things better, faster, hopefully cheaper, um, and more enjoyably. And so this is, if you've ever seen it, this is put out by the World Health Organization, which is um, working with cities all around the world to help them become more age-friendly. And in the purple, these are the principles, the things that they encourage cities to work on and think about, making each of these elements more age-friendly. And so as I started thinking about it, I started to want to tell you about technologies and services that are helping people stay safe, stay at their homes, stay social, stay inclusive and part of our communities, stay engaged, whether that's professionally or in volunteer organizations, stay connected to information and to the people that we care about, stay healthy, and stay independent and stay mobile. So I'm gonna take us through kind of a um, quick round around this circle and tell you about some of the specific innovations that might help make your life easier and help make this city even more age-friendly. So the first is on staying mobile. Um, as we know, transportation is a huge challenge for people as they age. Um, I'm thrilled to let you know that two of the largest on-demand um, transportation companies, both Lyft and Uber, have been getting more and more involved with Aging 2.0 and have been thinking about overtly how can they help older adults with transportation. Um, Lyft actually was one of the largest sponsors of our Aging 2.0 conference. Um, they're actually working with senior living communities to help people do pre pre-planned rides, so it doesn't just have to be on demand. You can say, I have a doctor's appointment next Tuesday and I need someone at my house at 9 a.m. Um, there's also carpooling available now with both of these services, so you know, if cost is an issue and maybe you have a little bit more time, you can say, I wanna go from point A to point B, 
and I'm willing to ride with anybody else who's going from A-ish to B-ish. Um, I actually carpool almost every day on the way to work, and you know what's been amazing is I've actually met more of my neighbors than you ever would have imagined, because you're actually sitting next to them in this car, and literally sometimes my Uber will pick me up, and we'll go three doors down and pick someone else up who I didn't know. And we end up driving to our offices three blocks apart on the other side of town. And so I encourage you to play with these, test them out. Um, they're training their drivers to be more age-friendly and more age-sensitive. Um, so it's great to see these big companies, you know, cheaper than the cost of cabs, better transparency. I use um, both Uber and Lyft with my dad all the time. Um, I call him Ubers and have them go pick up at his house. And now when he gets together with his buddies, he's like the Uber tutor, and he's teaching them all how to <laughs> download Ubers. And a little side note story, he and his um, fraternity brothers get together quarterly. These are guys in their early 80s. They get together quarterly, and one of those quarters, they go down to the fraternity house at UC, Santa, UC San Jose and hang out with the 19-year-olds. And um, that was when I first brought up Uber and what a good idea it would be if they took Uber back and forth instead of driving back and forth to the fraternity house. So we had a little role reversal about safe driving. <laughs> um, another interesting and I think exciting potential of technology is self-driving cars. Um, we actually, the closing keynote at our Aging 2.0 conference is the woman who leads um, self-driving cars for Google, and I just think, you know, it's the, one of the best use cases is for people who otherwise wouldn't be able to keep driving to be able to be safe and to get from point A to point B. So I'm incredibly excited about this use case for this technology, and it's coming sooner than we think. Um, there's also exciting things going on around virtual reality. This company was also at our conference. It's called Rendever, and it helps people go on virtual outings. Um, they can take you to walk along the Great Wall of China. Um, they can take, you can tell them any address, and they can take you to walk and stand right in front of your childhood home. Um, I think it gives exciting potential, so maybe either your budget or your body might not be able to take you places, um, but virtual reality can now take us places um, anywhere in the world. In terms of staying safe, we're seeing lots of companies start to think about sensors in the home. Um, how can our homes get a little bit smarter about our routines, and how can our homes support what we're trying to do or let someone know if things aren't going as planned. So there's all sorts of technologies, whether that's smart thermostats to help us keep our homes um, regulated at a temperature that's safe and also help us manage our electrical costs. You can have lights turn on automatically at certain times of the day. Um, you can have a camera to see who's knocking on your door so you don't have to go open the door to find out who's there. There's all sorts of technologies that I think can help us be more secure and safer and more connected in our homes. Here's a couple examples of some of the things you can do now with smart homes. And you know, you can turn on lights sitting on your couch, you can start the coffee, um, you can order food, you can change the temperature. And so, you know, I always joke that I think a lot of these technologies have been designed for what I lovingly refer to as um, lazy yuppies. But um, I think a lot of these technologies could really help someone for whom maybe getting up and down is a little bit more tedious. Speaking of staying at home, um, this is an interesting company out of Colorado, female founder, who saw this need that a lot of older people had homes, empty nest, had a couple extra bedrooms. They wanted to stay in their home, but they maybe needed a little bit of extra income and or wanted some additional companionship. So Silver Nest is a matching service that helps people find roommates. And it's only among people who are over age 50. They do extensive background testing. They help you with the lease. 
so that you can make sure that you are covered. And actually, the leases don't have to be only cash transactions. It could be 50% of the rent is going to be in cash and 50% is going to be in weekly rides to the grocery store or other sorts of kind of bartered arrangements. In terms of staying inclusive, we're starting to see some really neat models for intergenerational housing. Um, this is actually out of Amsterdam, where a senior living community has actually opened up some of their rooms to nearby artists and art students, and they give them subsidized rent in exchange for volunteer hours at the senior community. I also recently learned about a place in, Ma in Massachusetts called the Treehouse, where they blend older adult residents with um, foster families and foster children, and the older adults become essentially surrogate grandparents to these kids who need extra love, extra help, extra homework help, and again, it's just kind of a win-win and a way for people to live in an intergenerational setting. In terms of staying independent, we're starting to see lots of services, which again, I would say were initially created for kind of lazy yuppies or yuppies who are working too late to get to the grocery store, um, myself included. And now there's all sorts of services to help you get groceries delivered to your home, very low cost um, delivery charges. It's interesting when I think about my own parents, um, you know, a lot of times if your parents started to need help with grocery delivery or running errands, you would traditionally hire a home care agency, and usually the minimums are about three, two to three hours, and the rates are 20 to $25 an hour. So you're paying roughly $75 every time someone comes to spend a couple of hours to running errands with mom. Now, I use services like Instacart to drop um, the groceries at my mom's house. I use Amazon Prime to get other things delivered. And then with that $75 and with my free time, I'd rather take her some, out to lunch, you know, do something fun rather than just run the errands. So now there's all these services that I think can help bring things to your doorstep and free up your time and money to do things that might be more fun for you. If you love running errands and love going to the grocery store, by all means, keep doing it. But um, if that's an errand that it would be easier if it showed up at your doorstep, there's now services for that. Similarly, there's meal delivery, um, which is another neat way to keep cooking. Um, kind of more interesting meals, even if it's just two of you or one of you. Um, I know that's a common thing we hear is, well, it's just me. I don't want to go to the trouble of, you know, buying all these ingredients. And so there's these meal planning um, services where you get one sprig of rosemary and one, um, you know, one piece of filet. And so you're not having to buy 20 spices to make one ingredient or to make one recipe. And those, both of those services are not targeted specifically at any one age, but I think really we can benefit and help people age in the community by leveraging some of these services. And there's a service that actually helps tie this all together for people as well. So maybe you don't want to have five apps on your smartphone. Maybe you don't want to have to have the Uber app and the Instacart app and the Blue Apron app. You can actually call services like GoGo -Go Grandparent, and it's more of a concierge. And so you call them, and then they send an Uber to your house, or they send the delivery of groceries to your house. And so if you want someone kind of in between you or your parents and these services, there's now this concierge layer. And I checked, GoGo -Go Grandparent is in San Diego. In terms of staying healthy, um, there's all sorts of interesting and exciting ways that technology is helping us connect to the healthcare system. Um, virtual visits are just one of the many ways where we can have more of a dialogue with our healthcare partners. And so here's an example of someone you know, talking about their symptoms and talking about a treatment that otherwise maybe they would have had to go all the way in and wait in the waiting room for a long time. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more of this kind of pop-ins and check-ins with our healthcare providers now that we have um, high-speed connections into the home.
We're also seeing kind of a resurgence of house calls, which I think is really exciting. Um, but one of the things to think about here is this might look incredibly low-tech, right? So I'm supposed to be here talking about technology innovations, but here's house calls. But actually, on the back end, they're using technology to get much, much smarter about routing and about when they go and service people. And so there often is a technology enablement component to these high-touch services so that we can drive down the costs and make sure that it's still a viable business so they can keep doing it. And so we're seeing a couple companies pop up in this space, which I think a lot of people love, this idea of um, the doctor coming to your house. Another thing we've talked about is how do you stay social? Um, and this is a cool company that was also at our conference called the Freebird Club. And so they are a travel and homestay club that you become a member of. And as part of becoming a member, you're saying members can stay at my house and I can also stay at other people's houses when I travel. So it's kind of like Airbnb meets a travel club and it's only for people over 50. And again, there's nice background checks um, and privacy and safety built into it, but it gives you travel companions and places to stay and the security that goes with that. Also on the social front, this is a company called Stitch. They were part of an accelerator program we ran. They're based in Australia. Um, and they have created a site that helps people find companionship. It could be romantic companionship. It could be platonic friendships. It could be travel companions um, or people to find common activities with. And again, this is only for people over 50. They do a, again, background check. They found when they talked to people, um, older adults, about dating sites, or they were often concerned about identity and about um, people kind of using false identities and um, maybe even trying to do fraud. And so they're very cautious about identities here. And then they also found that it wasn't just that people wanted romantic companions, that it was just at a stage in their life where they wanted to meet a new crop of friends. You know, their kids had left, um, sometimes they were single again, and they just wanted a way to meet people to do fun things with. And so Stitch now is in a number of cities all around the world and just helping people um, find companions. So Stitch is an example of in-person, but we're also seeing people do a lot more around staying social virtually. Um, this is a company called Televisit that's essentially um, hosting virtual coffee gatherings, virtual trivia games. Um, so some of the things that you might have historically thought of happening in person at a senior center, now people can log in and have a morning cup of coffee while talking to a group of their friends all around the world or locally. And so I think thinking about potentially, as we think about age-friendly San Diego, you know, maybe there could be tech-enabled coffee meetups, talking about certain topics, talking about people with certain backgrounds, um, it's just a platform and a way for people to connect. In terms of staying engaged, um, has anybody heard that term gig economy? This idea that now people of all ages are, rather than having kind of one standard job, that they're actually picking up a bunch of different gigs. And this actually works quite well for retirees often who want some option to have some additional income but don't necessarily want to go to the same job all day every day. And so we're seeing um, older adults becoming drivers for companies like Lyft and Uber. We're also seeing them become um, task rabbits, which is another site that helps connect people who have a certain skill to people who need that skill. Um, this man earns $700 a week um, on the side, just driving his car when he wants to. For those of you who don't know, if you are an Uber or a Lyft driver, you simply, when you want to work, you turn on your app and you can start receiving calls and when you don't, you don't have to. And, 
Um, I actually usually ask most of my Uber drivers you know, a little bit about what they're doing, and it's so neat. There's a lot of retirees. There's a lot of you know, um, aspiring actresses and actors. There's a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, so for a lot of people, this type of flexible work really seems to work. And um, both of these companies are really welcoming to older drivers. Um, I believe it's Uber who has a partnership actually with AARP to try to attract more older drivers. Similarly, um, some people are renting out rooms in their house. So we talked about Airbnb. Um, Airbnb actually is seeing more than 10% of their hosts being over the age of 60. And when they asked those older hosts why they're doing it, um, some of them said it was for financial reasons. Others said they wanted to do it because it kept them social and it was interesting. Um, my parents' neighbor actually does it and he just loves meeting new people from all around the world and getting to have these interesting conversations over breakfast. So this woman said, you know, because I don't have any children and live alone, I love welcoming guests into my home and making them feel like part of my family. My dad's neighbor actually has become known for his um, pecan pancakes. And um, I actually had some friends stay in his house recently, and um, he was traveling, and so we were bummed that we did not get to try the pecan. But it's all written up in his reviews. There are a couple great um, startups and kind of growth stage companies here in San Diego who are focused explicitly on trying to create technologies for older adults and their families. Um, I think Great Call might be here tonight. I was talking with someone over email. Hello! And so Great Call has developed um, smartphones and some services around helping people stay connected and stay independent. They've been really involved with Aging 2.0 um, and have been great supporters and really are think very thoughtfully about how we can help more people be connected, more people use technology, and they think a lot about usability, which as we know, not all tech companies do, um, but they've been really thoughtful about making this technology work for all ages. And then Independa is also a company here in San Diego who's working on a platform to help people age in place and stay connected. And so if you're interested in, you know, we mentioned that giving feedback and telling people what you like and don't like about products, I think one of the things that I would encourage is that the entrepreneurs that I work with um, really need to hear your feedback. Um, they are well-intentioned 25-year-olds and 35-year-olds, but they don't know what it's like to have macular degeneration or to have arthritis in your hands or to you know, need a little bit more light when you're reading something. And so it's really important that we think about intergenerational design and that you give your feedback to these um, developers because they need to know how to make things work better for you. When you think about getting connected, there's also lots of resources to help um, people get connected. So this is a group called Teeniers, which pairs um, teenagers with seniors to help um, teach technology. And so it's kind of this idea of reverse mentoring. And there may be a Teeniers chapter here in San Diego. If not, I know the founder and could help you get one started. Um, it's a great way, again, to build those intergenerational bonds. And I think to help get more older adults connected, because once everyone is connected, there's so much more you can do around distributing information and doing some of this social stuff online as well. And there's also, this is a company that we've worked with called Geekatu, which actually delivers um, tech support to your house. 
Um, and they started very broadly trying to serve um, all sorts of users. And then they actually came and knocked on our door. Our office is in the same place. And they said, you know what? I think we need to get to know you because most of our users are older. <laughs> and uh, so now they've really catered their services to helping um, older adults. And it's nice because, because they can come to your home. You don't have to lug your computer to Best Buy. And you can point at what's not working in your home. And um, they can help you. And actually, I joke that um, we have a Geeka2 guy who now goes and helps my parents. Because the ongoing joke in my family has been, um, I studied engineering in college, but I often tell my dad that VCR repair was not on the syllabus. <laughs> and so um, I've outsourced my um, tech support primarily to the guys from Geeka2. And then when I go home, I get to have fun with my parents instead of, I used to come home to literally a list of technology problems and questions. And um, so these guys are great. His name is Ben. He comes over to my parents' house all the time and has just helped them stay really connected, which is a blessing to me because I'm you know, 300 miles away with a 17-month-old who loves to um, FaceTime with them. There's also classes, um, a lot of senior centers, a lot of libraries. The Apple Store offer classes in technology. I live right near an Apple Store, and if I'm ever home during the week in the middle of the day, I peek in there, and time and time again, the people who are in there taking the classes are boomers and seniors, learning about how to use photography, learning about how to use FaceTime. So if you haven't been to an Apple store, um, I would encourage you to go, because you actually find a lot of your peers there in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week. There's also online classes to help teach you about individual websites and um, skills online, so whether it's wanting to learn more about how to use Netflix or wanting to learn more about how to use Amazon. They have really simple to use tutorials to help you make the most of a lot of these services. Because I think technology is one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. And um, so services like this can really help open your eyes to something that could be very beneficial. And as I mentioned before, uh, it's really important that we give these entrepreneurs input um, and that they really understand who they're designing for. And so this is actually um, pictures from a program that we run with a number of different senior living communities around the United States. And we call it the, quote, Entrepreneur in Residence Program. And we mean that very literally. We move entrepreneurs into assisted living and skilled nursing facilities to help them get to know who they're designing for, to help them iterate on their product. Um, these two guys are developing a wearable, and they spent a few weeks living at a Brookdale um, community. But my favorite story, actually, is um, a company that we worked with who was developing an incontinence product and lived in a skilled nursing facility for the last year. Um, a team of five people, um, God bless them, they're in their 20s, <laughs> and um, they... Actually, they lived in a couple different ones, and their most recent one, they really wanted to be in the Bay Area because they were participating in an accelerator program. And so they found a community, and they showed up and said, you know, could we live here for a couple of months? And the executive director on the spot said, we don't have any rooms available, but if you want, you can live in our conference room. And these... These entrepreneurs who wanted to learn so badly and really wanted to test their product, um, they lived on air mattresses in a conference room at a memory care community for four months. And um, 
they had to join a gym nearby so that they could shower because there wasn't a bathroom for them to shower in. And um, there's a great picture, I should have brought it, of actually all of them wearing the adult briefs, um, talking about um, their, the empathy that they learned. Um, and it's so critical. And I'm proud to say that that company that spent a year um, slogging it away and learning the front lines, um, they actually just got acquired about a month ago by a large um, company out of Switzerland. And so I think a huge part of why they did so well and were ultimately acquired was because they got input from real users. And um, so if you ever hear about people doing focus groups or if you want to um, sign up for our Aging 2.0 newsletter, we're often asking for feedback from you know, older adults to give these entrepreneurs input on what they're building. We do a lot of our um, pitch events actually at senior living communities. and. Uh, I will often joke that the very best thing for an entrepreneur to hear is for some resident to raise their hand and to say, I would never use that. <laughs> and the sooner they hear that, you know, the smarter they'll be, the quicker they'll change it, and they really need that input early and often in their development process. So actually, I was looking. Um, you've probably heard the phrase, there's an app for that. And I didn't know, but there's an app for age-friendly cities. And actually, some developers out of Toronto designed an app to help crowdsource ideas around what was age-friendly within a particular city. So if you wanted to report that the menu at a particular restaurant was not age-friendly, or if you wanted to report a big crack in the sidewalk. Um, and so I was surprised and delighted to hear that this was out there. But I also wanted to mention to you that there's just so many tools and platforms that are actually already out there to help form a movement. And um, with Aging 2.0, we've grown our network to about 20,000 people around the world, and most of it has been using the free tools on this page. Um, you know, Facebook, you can start a Facebook group around age-friendly San Diego. Um, Eventbrite is for setting up events. Um, you can send stuff out on Twitter, pictures. Um, Meetup is a great place to find like-minded people in your community. You can send out surveys and ask people what they need and want. Um, and actually, Google Maps has a way where you could drop pins um, as a community around things that are need work or are great places for people to visit. So I would encourage you to think about tools that could help connect your community um, around some of these goals you have around being age-friendly. I thought this seemed appropriate for San Diego. So thank you so much for having me, and I think we're going to have some time for questions. Thank you so much, Katie. So I'm Alejandra Sotelo Solis, and I'm the Age-Friendly Communities Manager here at the San Diego Foundation. And we were very honored to have Katie um, present, again, about these wonderful tools. So I will start it off, and here we go. In what sector are technologies for older adults and caregivers developing most rapidly and most affordably? Sure, so I think the areas where we're probably seeing the most activity are around wearables and around kind of smart home sensors, and I think we're seeing the cost of those go way down. And so do any of you guys have a Fitbit or step, track, step tracker? Um, so I think we're seeing people kind of try to take that one level further, maybe thinking about could it also have emergency response? Um, Great Call has a product that is a beautiful wearable that also has um, emergency response in it. So I think we're seeing a lot of activity there. Um, we're also seeing a lot of low-tech designs, which I think is also important. It's not just about technology. Um, we're seeing people rethink 
just how these pro low-tech products look. Um, I used to say that I think you know a lot of the products that we've designed for older adults, in my opinion, were big, beige, and boring, right? Like they're just very utilitarian. You know, would you like this toilet seat riser? Would you like this, you know, metal walker? And um, not surprisingly, people weren't very excited about bringing them into their home or walking around town with them. And I think we're seeing people start to think more about beautiful design, whether that's in mobility devices or around ways to make your home safer. And a lot of those are quite inexpensive and starting to be sold in mainstream places like Lowe's and Target or available online. Fantastic. So you mentioned the low tech. Um, one question with that is, where will we be seeing the most useful and cost-effective products? You listed uh, several of the free apps that are available, technology. Uh, can you speak a little bit about the cost-effectiveness of these technologies? Sure. So I think, you know, as with technology, often, you know, costs will hopefully come down over time. I think a lot of the services, for example, the um, home caregiving services, we've seen quite a bit of venture investment into companies that are helping bring non-medical home care providers to people's homes. And um, one of the companies that we've been working with for quite some time is called CareLinks. And they actually help families directly find non-medical home care providers. And by doing that directly, they've actually been able to eliminate the proverbial middleman of an agency. And so they're able to actually pay the caregivers more and the families pay less. And so I think we're seeing um, examples of where, by using technology, we're able to lower the cost of some of these services. Because I think a lot of the entrepreneurs we work with understand that a lot of people are living on fixed income. It's not, and we need to be developing products that people really need, not just that people kind of want with expendable income. And I think this kind of leads to, to the question with the, the resources that are out there. How can cities with limited public transportation dollars, and you mentioned uh, the Lyft and Uber, how can uh, cities with limited public transportation uh, funds um, and high living costs be more age-friendly with uh, integrating these new technologies? Right, so um, both Lyft and Uber are actually doing partnerships with cities as well. Um, most cities, if I understand correctly, often have um, taxi vouchers and some money allocated that's often distributed through senior centers. And both Lyft and Uber now are about, I believe, 30% cheaper than cabs. So partnering with one of them can actually help a city stretch their transportation budget. Uh, so that's one way. Also, up in San Francisco, we've started to see... Um, there's a company called Chariot that actually was recently acquired by Ford. And they're helping do um, smaller buses that ha give you some more information on your phone about who's coming when and where and can kind of do smaller routes than your traditional kind of municipal buses. So I think, you know, with technology and GPS, we can get so much smarter about knowing where these assets are and also using smarter routing to pick people up and drop them off. And so I think I would encourage, and I know the right people at Lyft and Uber if anybody wants to talk to them, um, thinking about it as really a strategic city initiative to think about how you can partner with some of these new tech-enabled transportation companies to stretch your dollars and also for individuals, um, you know, most of my friends in San Francisco have given up their cars and exclusively use um, Lyft and Uber because the cost of maintaining a car, the cost of insurance, the cost of parking, that it's kind of stopped making sense. And so they also have calculators, both of them, on their websites to help you think about how much you ride and where you go and if that might be a worthwhile um, transition for your family. Makes you think, where, should I leave the car at home and call an Uber? 
Okay, with older adults becoming increasingly tech-savvy, should we continue to distinguish technologies between the general public and older adults, and are there any special needs that are not being addressed? Certainly, yes. So I think about this a lot, actually, and... um, you know, ideally, I would love to see more of the mainstream technology providers create usability features that make these products available for as wide a group as possible. It's a good business decision if you have a larger total, total available market, and it's you know, the right thing to do, whether it's for people with disability or people with some of the age-related changes that we know happen around you know, vision and hearing. So ideally, I hope in the future we won't have to have kind of products that are specifically targeted at seniors as much. But I think also it's important to remember that technology changes so quickly. And I think in some cases it's nice to just have a product that's kind of going to stay the same for a while so you don't always have to be learning. And so I think there will always be also a need for products that are a little bit easier, a little bit more simplified, and maybe don't change quite as frequently. And with, with that, when we talk about aging in place and aging in the home that you maybe have lived in and raised your children in, what type of home monitoring or smart uh, home uh, monitoring systems, what would you say is the most pressing health needs that technology is looking to address? Is it falls, cognitive decline, and how is the aging community responding to that? Sure. Yeah, so I think when we talk about... Um, home monitoring, I think medication management and falls come up time and time again as challenges that people have difficulty managing over time. Um, and I think we've all heard horrible stories about someone falling and not getting help um, after for quite a while. And so I think sensors in the home can certainly be an important part of that. We are actively looking um, at companies in this space, and I actually just met with one yesterday that I was very excited about that um, actually has been able to embed technology in regular light bulbs that has some radar in it that can be um, monitoring kind of activity between different rooms. And, you know, if someone, say, went into a restroom in the middle of the night and didn't come out for many, many hours, that that might be concerning. Um, So there are some new technologies coming out. What I like about the light bulb is you already have light bulbs in your house. It's not one more device that sits on your, you know, counter that someone walks in and says, hmm, what's that? Um, but another kind of side note story, there was a company that had some sensors for a while, and I think people often feel a little uncomfortable about this idea of home monitoring and, you know, telling my daughter if I didn't get up by this certain time. And, you know, how does that feel for a family to be, quote, monitoring um, a loved one? And so my parents are good sports, and so I put a bunch of sensors around their house. And... Um, <laughs> We put a sensor on the cabinet where my dad keeps his coffee grounds because he makes coffee pretty routinely, you know, at the same time every morning. And so we set up some rules such that if it hadn't been opened by, you know, 10 a.m., that would be a little bit alarming. And so I would check in and see how he's doing. What we didn't expect, and which is why I think it's important to test these things, is um, my dad started to think of opening that cabinet as saying hi to me. And... (laughs) And so it took it, you know, I think a lot of people worry about technology making things less personal, right? But it actually took a totally inanimate device of a cabinet and made it something that was special between my dad and I. And so he would open it to say hi and say good morning. But then he started realizing that, you know, he would do it for coffee, but then he just started doing it at all sorts of times during the day. Like every time he'd walk by the cabinet, he would open and close it. And, um, and I would get a little notification. And um, but then the other 
interesting thing is I think people learn to respond to incentives. And so I've also heard stories of maybe so-and-so's daughter didn't call very often, but mom figured out, well, if I trip this notification, she'll call me. If I don't, if I don't open that medication bottle before 10, she'll call me. And so we've actually heard stories of grandparents getting more calls because they figured out a way to get the daughter to call. So I call my parents plenty, but um, it is neat. To, I was so, it was so neat to think that you know, a lot of people's initial reaction is, oh, this is going to make it less personal. And instead, my dad and I had a new way to interact. Wow. So uh, definitely calling grandma and calling our older adults is really important for that communication, making sure everybody's taking their medications on time. So you mentioned one of the businesses that was um, purchased by a bigger company, but we want to know what product won your challenge at Aging 2.0, and please uh, share with us a little bit more about that product. Yeah, so we do a bunch of different startup challenges, and... um, the one, so we do this thing called the Global Startup Search, where over the summer we put on about 35 events all around the world. There were winners at each of those events, and then we did some semifinals, and then the eight finalists came to San Francisco, and we had a bunch of judges, both seniors and senior care operators, helping us pick the winner. And the winner was actually a very low-tech design that's called the Stand Up Walker, and it was actually a device that helps people go from floor to standing or from seated to standing so it has more stability to help people stand and then the other winner was this light bulb um, with the radar in it to help um, do monitoring. And what's the cost of both of those potential products? So the, I believe the light bulb is going to be starting out at I think about $25 um, and then the um, walker is again probably less than 50 so it's very low tech. And affordable. And affordable. And affordable. That's, I think, really important. Can you link, um, because we are on a um, college campus, can you uh, link uh, what some of the important technologies that are coming out of these competitions and the upcoming engineers, can you link the community colleges to senior communities? Maybe talk a little bit about, about what colleges can do to develop classes or, or that they can go to senior community facilities to provide lectures, information. Again, outside of the Stein Institute lecture series, which we all appreciate you being at, but um, what other opportunities can we provide our college students to support your efforts? Sure. So I am a big believer of, you know, I think the more 25-year-olds who can walk through the doors of senior living communities, the better. And I think the more older adults who can walk through the doors of college campuses or the place where I work, which is a crazy co-work space with entrepreneurs running all around, you know, the better. Um, I actually designed a course when I was in graduate school that was around wanting to bring older adults in to talk about different, you know, we could study the academic challenges maybe around prevalence of falls or whatever, but then let's bring some people in to talk about um, whether they have fallen or maybe a loved one has fallen and, or the caregiver of someone. And so, you know, I would encourage people to look for aging-related classes and, you know, go volunteer, go talk to them, go offer to be part of a, um, you know, a focus group. Um, there's really a need to bridge these two groups and learn from each other. Fantastic. And we talk about the, um, the demographics of age and how does this play into underrepresented communities, Latinos, Asians, um, you know, here in San Diego, we have a very diverse community. So how can we incorporate that into our age-friendly communities initiatives uh, through technology? Sure. So one of the things that I think is so neat about technology is the ability to help with translation. And um, I don't know if you've seen some of the work being done, but you can actually, you know, if 
speak something and then have it translate using Google Translate and you know show the text um, in another language. And so I think technology can help us you know break down barriers around culture. Um, it's also interesting to point out, though, I think um, we do a lot with diversity in tech up in San Francisco, but I kind of had to point out to them that they talked a lot about diversity in tech being let's get more women and let's get more minorities involved in tech, and I said, what about age? Um, you know, if you look around the offices where I work, it's mainly people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, and so I think thinking about age diversity and where, where can we get more older adults involved in other communities I think is really important. And I will do one last question. What is your vision for age-friendly communities here in the San Diego region 40 years from now? 40 years, so much can change in 40 years. I'll be living here. Let's play with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so 40 years, I'll tell you my age. So I'll be 77 in 40 years. Um, and so I would love to live in a place that I think you really would see everybody being more connected. You know, I think that idea, I love the idea of the kind of the virtual coffee morning, you know, and that so you'd wake up and live in a smart home that kind of is saying good morning to me, knows what I want to do that day. Um, the temperature has auto-controlled because I'm always cold, um, <laughs> even in San Diego. And, you know, I think being connected to my community, I would have a, cell, I would have a driverless car, but it wouldn't even be something I owned, right? Because you don't need to own a car anymore. They just come and get you. Um, so I would have a self-driving car that came to check on me. All my, my refrigerator would auto-order all of my food as I ran out of things. Um, what else did I have? I'd have a robot, right? I hope. Um, it's funny. My, my best friend, um, she, she and I have slightly different um, thoughts about tidiness, and I'm a little more precise, let's say, and um, she always kids me because she says, Katie, I thought it would be like the Jetsons by now, <laughs> and that we'd have a little robot cleaning up after us, and so I do think um, I'm very excited about the potential of social robots, and um, there's some interesting work going on at MIT around social robotics, but I think really at the end of the day, um, you know, the technology that's probably made the biggest difference in my life is... Um, you know, FaceTime and um, being able to share my son with his grandparents, neither of whom live um, near us. And so I think it's, at the end of the day, I think it's about connection. It's being able to be connected physically or virtually to the people you care about, the information you need, to healthcare systems. And I also love the virtual reality stuff. Actually, one final thing on the virtual reality, um, a picture that's in a lot of my decks, but not this one, is actually... Um, the grandmother of the founder of Oculus Rift, which was the first um, VR headset that sold to Facebook for a cool $2 billion. And um, so she's a proud grandmother. Um, but there's a picture of her trying this device and a video actually online. And she, they take her on a walk all along these cliffs of Ireland in the virtual world. And she's ooing and aahing and just gasping. And, um, and she takes it off and she looks right at the camera and she says, now that I've seen this, I want to live to 106. And she was 92 at the time. And, and I think technology can help us have elevated experiences. And um, the other thing I really love about the company that was in my deck, Rendever, and virtual reality is they are not trying to get us all just using virtual reality by ourselves, you know, sitting in your room by yourself going on these virtual trips. But they do it as a shared social experience. So Rendever operates in senior living communities, and everyone will go on a walk around, you know, 
Florence together, and then they go to lunch and get to talk about it and have the shared experience. And so I really like these blending of high-tech and high-touch, and let's have shared experiences, let's stay connected. But at the end of the day, I think we all need to put down our cell phones and talk to each other. There you go. Well, thank you so much, Katie. Let's give Katie a big round of applause. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.